It's time for Hamilton County Goes to the Movies for June 15, 2020. This is a podcast all about film featuring Adam Awson, Carmel business owner of Donatello's Restaurant, member of the City Council, and a lover of all things film. My name is Larry Lannon. I write a Fisher's blog, LarryInFishers.com. This podcast has not been very busy because movie theaters closed in March and have not reopened yet. Adam and I do welcome on this podcast Alec Toombs to talk about when theaters may reopen and what films might be on those screens. This is Hamilton County Goes to the Movies. It's been, it was weekly, has now an occasional uh, podcast. Unfortunately, nobody in Hamilton County is going to the movies right now. We're streaming, we're watching other in-home kinds of products. So uh, we're going to talk about that end of it and when we might actually be going to the movies again. Once again, Adam Austin is with me, my usual partner. Adam, great to talk to you again after uh, quite an interregnum there. Nice to talk to you. Nice to see you. We're on a, a Zoom meeting, so I can see you. I know you're recording this for audio, uh, so they don't get to, to see you. So, you know, you already had the quarantine beard, so you were already set. <laughs> Actually, my wife tri- my wife just trimmed it. You should have seen it before. Yeah, because you can't go to a barber shop and get a beard trim yet, not until July. So, Is any she good at trimming beards? Uh, she she did a pretty good job. I gotta admit, uh, there. it was a <laughs> she. It was not a, she's not a professional, but she learns quickly. Alec Toombs is also with us. Uh, he is the partner for Adam on Grade A Movies, which we'll talk about. Alec, uh, you've been on one podcast before a while back. It's good to have you back. Thanks, Larry. It's good to be here. I just uh, want to first of all, Alec, I have a question for you. I was okay. look. I was looking uh, this morning at the Grade A Movies website, and and may I make a comment about your picture? Sure. <laughs> because I when I looked at that picture, I said, "Is that really Alec that I met before?" And uh, you kind of have that look on you with the shadowy look, as if you're a a, a villain in a, in a B movie from the fifties. He looks like Orson Welles in that. Picture. It's kind of Orson Welles ish. Um, <laughs> I just thought the lighting in the shot was cool, so I ran with it. It seemed cinematic, so it's avant-garde for sure. I agree with that. So, anyway, the and, and Grade A movies, and if you want to read uh, what they have uh, to put there, what they have to, to offer there, it's uh, GradeAMovies.com, all jumbled together. GradeAMovies.com. They have commentaries about film. They have what reviews are out there. So, I want to start off today talking about sort of the state of the, of the film industry. I just looked uh, this morning, and the buzz right now in some of the entertainment press is that the Oscar ceremony, which is tentatively scheduled for February 28th of next year, may be moved back as many as eight weeks, uh, and some of the other deadlines may be moved around for coronavirus reasons. There's going to be a vote on that by the Academy Oscar Committee, I think, within a few days. Just uh, let me ask to Alec first. What do you think about that? I'll be honest with you. It's news to me. I hadn't heard it before you brought it up. Um, whatever these folks need to do to keep themselves uh, safe is probably what they should do. Adam, your thoughts? So 
I wonder what kind of Oscar movies are going to be coming out. Are there we're going to have a giant rush of movies once theaters get open? Where, um, especially with the Oscar stuff too, where we're going to have you know four or five great movies at a time, or are we going to have another thing where maybe some of these things weren't finished with their productions, and we're going to see some films delayed not just because people can't go back to the theater, but because hey, we couldn't go back and do reshoots. We couldn't go back and do a lot of these things. A lot of productions and stuff were halted, and that threw off the schedule. Um, we saw that some movies that were all ready to start shooting are now probably never going to come out. What are going to happen? Yeah, but you make a really good point. What's going to happen to all these productions that were in the middle of production when all this shut down? Will they restart, or will they ever get done? What do you think? I think they should just use claymation to finish their <laughs> Oh, that's do too that good. You can do that from home. Anything you can do from home, I think, is, is something the studios will look at right now. So, I was rewatching an old film, mm-hmm. uh, Robocop, which oh my is very God. timely as we're talking about uh, police and militarization and, and all of that. And I, I got to tell you that. Uh-huh. There's some great claymation in that stop-motion animation in that movie, Larry. <laughs> I remember oh, seeing that, that film when it first came out, and it seemed so off-the-wall and crazy at the time. You know, Alec, it, it doesn't seem so off-the-wall and crazy today. No, I'm a huge fan of RoboCop. I think it's one of uh, the best sci-fi action movies of the 80s, and it holds up. Yeah, it does hold up over time. I think Adam's right about that. Now, there are some releases that have been moved a lot. Oh, by the way, I want to ask uh, one more thing before we get on to that. Uh, I'm, I'm curious uh, about what's going to happen to production. Production has been shut down in Hollywood and any location that they were on as of sometime in March, I think. Um, are we going to have product in the next several months? And, and you know, will the, Osc- the Oscars are looking at rules. The, role, the old rule was you had to open, I think, for a week in New York and L.A. in order to be eligible for the Oscars. So, Adam, do you think all that's going to change when we look at the, the upcoming Oscar cycle? Um, we'll see. I mean, we may have, um, you know, Fast and the Furious 7 be the best picture winner because that's all that came out. Um, it'll be Fast and the Furious 9 it's not coming out till next year man I, oh, that's true and you know I'm off on my numbers I forgot how many they made <laughs> there's a lot of them there's a lot of them <laughs> I lost so track yeah. but I don't know um, you know maybe this will be a chance for some of those smaller indie films to get a shot you know every year I think we've done a couple Oscar features and I think The Shape of Water was one year where we agreed with the best picture winner um but a lot of the other years, some of our favorite movies didn't even get nominated. I don't know. Maybe they'll get a shot now. Maybe those smaller independent films will get more of a chance to shine. Well, talking about uh, releases, the last I heard, and I checked it this morning, is Mulan, which is the Disney big production, has now been scheduled for July 24th. Then uh, Christopher Nolan's big uh, project, Tenet, I think I'm pronouncing that right, is uh, July 31st. So um, just got pushed last week. It was supposed to come out, uh, I think, two weeks prior. Yeah, I think it was right after July 4th. And now the latest that I checked this morning was July 31st. Let me talk about. Wonder Woman got pushed, too. It was supposed to come out in, I think, August. Wonder Woman. Yeah, I think August 14th, maybe. Yeah. Now it's going to come out in October. 
That I, I just heard that too. So that's another one a little further out. Uh, Mulan, we know, is going to have an audience already set for it. But can I ask you too about Tenet? I mean, I there was this huge secret uh, cloak put over it by Christopher Nolan. It was very little known about it. They've just released um, they just released the trailer, and I think we know less about it now than we did before. So, Alec, tell me, what uh, what are your thoughts on Tenet? Uh, we know it's about World War III, somebody trying to prevent it. But uh, if you look at, uh, at that uh, trailer, it, to me, it doesn't tell you much more than that. I'm a big, big Christopher Nolan fan. If uh, he's releasing a movie in a theater, I'm going to get my butt in the seat, whether I have to wear a mask or have my temperature taken or whatever. I'll be there. Adam? I did see one good tweet about the temperature taken thing, which, I, I mean, I'll follow the rules, too. Um, but someone said, I don't know if I trust the movie theater employees to accurately check my <laughs> health before I enter. I've brought in, I've brought in, it's not a word. Uh, I've brought in <laughs> giant things and McDonald's carry out, uh, people sneak in without paying for tickets. Do you really trust those high school, nothing against high schoolers, <laughs> the high schoolers that work for me, but, um, I don't know if they're going to be the most reliable source. So uh, still wear a mask. Don't they just point that little contraption to your head and <laughs> that's all yeah. they do? Uh, no, I I love Christopher Nolan. Yeah. You know, he had a production that um, could have had a huge box office that was harmed. And that was The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, opening night, there was that tragic shooting in Colorado. And it still made a ton of money. But a lot of box office analysts said that the movie could have made even more because there were people who were afraid to go see that movie uh, after that shooting. So completely different scenario. But, I mean, art is art. It's going to be out there whether we see it in theaters or whether we see it later when it's rental. I'm glad Christopher Nolan's still making movies. I had just watched The Prestige for the first time ever. I'm surprised I had never seen that one before. Um but, man, everything he makes is good. Even the stuff that I don't love as much as others is still excellent. Uh, Mulan will make a ton of money. Hopefully it's good. I did review for our website and for the Film Yap, uh, which is Chris Lloyd's website that me and Alec contribute to at times, uh, a review of Artemis Fowl, the new Disney Plus exclusive. Now, this is a young adult uh, re- movie that was supposed to be released in the theaters. And they decided, due to COVID-19, that they would pull it and put it on streaming. And they acted like, wow, we're doing you a big favor. Guess what? You're stuck at home. You're bored. We've got this great movie that cost $125 million that we're just holding on to. And we're so kind by putting it in our streaming service. But How kind were they? It's a terrible movie, <laughs> and they were saving themselves from a box office dud. It makes it's directed by Kenneth Branagh, and uh, he's better at Shakespeare than CGI. Hmm. Uh, I didn't really love his take on Thor. It's one of my least favorite MCU movies, and we all remember Kenneth Branagh. He didn't direct it, but his CGI foray into the film classic Wild Wild West with uh, Will Smith. <laughs> Forgettable movies. Though. So, 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 Alec, did you see Artemis Fowl? I have not watched it yet. Okay. Uh, I have thought about doing a double feature of uh, that in a movie from a few years ago called Hotel Artemis. Kind of <laughs> the magic double bill. 
I got a feeling they're not quite the same film, even though they have that in common. I want to ask about a couple. We'll just kind of mention this real quickly. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion about Daniel Craig, or at least what's supposed to be his last role as James Bond in No Time to Die. It was originally going to be uh, very. Yeah, I think in May. I think it was actually last month. It was supposed to originally have been released. The latest I have heard is that the release is set for right before Thanksgiving, November twentieth. So um, do you think that film, Alec, is, is going to, to, to end up meeting that, uh, that schedule right now? It just depends on what um, the virus does. I mean, I think the movie's in the can. It's ready to go. The filmmaker, uh, Kerry Fukunaga, seemed really confident in the movie he made. And he's a good filmmaker. Um, I'm excited to see it. I, I like Fukunaga's work. Uh, after seeing Knives Out, the idea of seeing Daniel Craig... And Ana de Armas and another movie together is also very appealing to me. So, so what about you? What are your thoughts on uh, how anxious you are to see the latest uh, James Bond offering, Adam? I, this is the film that I was most excited to see. I like the Daniel Craig Bond movies by far more than the other Bonds. Uh, you know, I I tried watching some of the old '60s ones, and they're of their time and they're good. But I think the new ones uh, kind of mix uh, the realism with uh, some fun action. And this has got a great cast. Not only uh, does it bring in, like Alex said, Anna de Armas, who's kind of a rising star, but Rami Malek, who coming off his Oscar-winning performance in Bohemian Rhapsody, he's going to be the villain. And I always say, if you're going to have a good action movie, whether it's James Bond or a comic book movie, have a good villain. It always makes the movie better. A lot of the ones that aren't as good usually is because they have weak villains. But I'm I'm excited about this one. I, I even like the song. I, I like the song they put out there. Mm. So yeah, I know uh, you have I, high standards, Adam. That, I'm sure that's a big one there. But we'll see. You know, the international box office has become more important than ever, and so it's not just what happens in the United States about whether these movies get released. They're looking around the world. Can they put these movies in theaters around the world to make as much money as possible? So well, I just saw China's not uh, opening its theaters in the near future. So there are a lot of people wondering if the Chinese will even go back to the movie theaters. So I mean, that's one of the biggest markets in the world right now. You know, it's interesting, Adam, you mentioned that whole thing about, about Daniel Craig and being the best James Bond. I think Daniel Craig borrowed from all the actors that, that have played James Bond. And remember, Sean Connery actually did create the character as an actor, and I think uh, Craig has borrowed from him as well. Oh, absolutely. So I think Daniel Craig might be the... Um, Sean Connery obviously won an Oscar for uh, The Untouchables as Best Supporting Actor, but I think Daniel Craig might be the only other Bond that's been nominated. Am mm-hmm. I I think you're right. I think you are right about that. Yeah. So, you know, he's a talented actor, and we've seen that in movies that weren't Bond related. He's just good in everything. So uh, let me ask about this. Um, the King of Staten Island is going to, I, th- I think it's about to be released on streaming. I don't think it's been released yet. It or, came out uh, Friday. I, I watched oh, it already. Okay, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Before I talk about the film, uh, the big brouhaha that happened before the film was released is that it was supposed to be run in drive-in theaters this past weekend. And at the very last minute... The studio pulled it from the drive-in theaters, and the drive-in theater operators were obviously furious at the studio. So uh, well, let me ask you, Alec, what did you think of the film? 
Uh, it's a Judd Apatow movie. I am a fan of Apatow's, but a lot of his movies tend to run longer than they need to. And this is certainly the case with The King of Staten Island. It's like two hours and 17 minutes long, which for a comedy is pretty lengthy. Um, I did think it was good, and it showed uh, a different side to Pete Davidson. So I would recommend the movie. You'd recommend it, but a little it came. You, you think maybe you elongated the same joke too long? Um, I mean, calling it a comedy is probably somewhat of a misnomer. It's probably more of a dramedy. There, there's some heavy stuff at play in the movie, um, but two, two, two hours seventeen minutes felt uh, a little lengthy to me. I would have probably trimmed about fifteen to twenty minutes off it. Well, Adam, that's true with any Judd Apatow movies. His mm-hmm. movies are always too long. And I think he's trying to be like a modern-day James L. Brooks, where he went from comedy and he has that heart and sentimentality, which worked in spurts in some of his films. But let's be honest, as much as I like Paul Rudd or Pete Davidson, these aren't dramatic heavyweights who can carry that sentimentality Um you know, I think Adam Sandler maybe did it best in Funny People. He had some good sentimentality, but some of the other ones, I think they're better off with the 40-year-old virgin style uh, gross-out humor. <laughs> but well, I, think I learned something. You know that Steve Buscemi, who's in uh, The King of Staten Island, before he was a firefighter, before he was an actor, he was a firefighter. Oh, really? So, oh, he plays a firefighter here, too. Yeah. He plays a firefighter in the movie, and he was an actual professional firefighter mm. for years. And he said he's never gotten to play a firefighter, even though mm. he was one. So this was kind of cool for him. Alec, you have something? Uh, I, I was going to say, Buscemi, I think, actually, even though he was an actor, went back and, and worked with the guys at 9-11. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do know Davidson yeah. lost his dad on 9-11. Mm. He was one of the firefighters who went into the building. Um they changed it up a little bit from that in the movie, so as not to prey on the 9-11 sentimentality. But um, I, the movie really worked for me, other than that it was too long. Well, uh, I would have to say that Buscemi's greatest acting uh, performance was playing Nikita Khrushchev. I mean, he pulled that off somehow in Death of Stalin. But uh, it's Alan, another... Does somebody play Ariana Grande in the movie? No. no. I mean, he's got <laughs> a romantic interest in the movie, but it's uh, – not based off of Ariana Grande. Oh, that's too bad. Well, now, Adam, let me ask you this. Um, the only theaters that are open in America to speak of are drive-in theaters. Do you think the studio may have overplayed their hand by pulling this from the drive-in theaters? Yeah, so I really wanted to go to a drive-in. I haven't been. So I'm not a big drive-in person. I did write a story about them once when I was a journalist in Jacksonville. It was like the last night of a drive-in movie theater ever being in business. And uh, the last movie they ever showed was Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So eh, they probably could have gone out in a better movie. <laughs> but, yeah. But when I was a kid, I remember seeing Congo in the drive-in theater. And I thought it was a really hot and humid night and there were a lot of mosquitoes out. So I felt like I was in the movie, in the film Congo, where, you know, you're in the jungle. Um, I wanted to take my daughter, Madeline, because I thought, wow, you know, drive-in might be cool because she loves being outside. She can run around and play in the grass, and if she doesn't pay attention to the movie, oh well. Well, two problems there. It doesn't get dark in Indiana until like 9 o'clock, so Mm -hmm. that's when a lot of these drive-ins start. That's past her bedtime, Mm -hmm. and you're not allowed to leave the car in the current drive-in situation. So You uh, you can now, actually. I think um, at Tibbs, you can take seats out and put them near your car. They just request that you stay six feet away from... 
other patrons. That's good. And if you go inside the concession stand, uh, wear a mask. You yeah. went. Was there any changes, Alec? Yeah, we went uh, maybe about a month ago. My wife Jamie and I. We caught a really good deal. Amazon did something where they were showing their new movie, uh, The Vast of Night, and paired it with something they released last year, The Aeronauts. So that was a double feature. We got them for two dollars for both of us total. So. Yeah, you know, I, I have to admit to you, I you know, I'm older than you guys, and and my parents used to love to take us all to the drive-in on Friday night. That was like an event of the week. So I grew up with the drive-ins, and I can even remember a time when drive-ins were open. Not all of them, but many of them were open during the winter months, and you would have a heater in the car. They gave you a heater that was hooked up to the pole. So a little drive-in history there. Let me speaking of theaters. The indoor theaters have not opened anywhere in this area, and probably no place in the country I'm aware of. But we have AMC, which uh, has declared bankruptcy, but has declared that almost all the theaters were open. I'm assuming all of the uh, complexes in Indianapolis area will open up whenever they all do. Uh, Regal is going to open up soon. And uh, uh, the Goodrich Theater chain, which has the the big complex uh, over by Hamilton Town Center, in fact, uh, you might remember, Adam, we had the manager on one of our podcasts a while back. Uh, that They're in bankruptcy. It is unclear whether they will reopen or perhaps sell to someone else. Um, Alec, why don't you start this? Talk about uh, how you think movie theater is going to open up and uh, the state of the movie theater business with all the bankruptcies. From what I understand, the idea is when they first open, it's going to be at either 25 or 50% capacity. I don't know... Um, how financially viable that will be for the companies. But um, they can do it safely where I can go see a movie and I don't have anybody who I'm not going to the movie with sitting next to me, I'll be there and I'll wear a mask. How about you, Adam? Well, I'll be honest. It depends on how good the movie is because um, some of the masks are fine. You can breathe on them well. But, you know, if if it's hot out or it's it's not comfortable, I don't know. Sometimes it's it's uncomfortable to wear one for hours and hours and hours on end. So um, if the movie does not look great, I think that's just a little more of a deterrent to maybe stay home. Um, I wonder how well some of the straight to streaming options have been because they don't have to release those numbers. But they did do a couple kids' movies like the Scooby-Doo animated version and uh, the new trolls movie all of that were supposed to be in theaters uh, they went straight to streaming and so if they made enough money maybe they'll continue to both do theater and streaming to re- to kind of recoup some revenue but we'll see because when you're paying for streaming it is a little more it's twenty dollars to rent say trolls but if you've got six kids, I guess that's probably uh, saving some money compared to doing it. You also got to remember the kids, too, Alec. I mean, it's a lot easier for you not having kids. But if I only have one kid. But if I had a bunch of kids and I had to drag them and put masks on them and spend all sorts of money, uh, I don't know. We may just stay home and, and re-watch something again. I well, hear you, man. Like, if I'm going to a movie, I'll go see Tenet. I'm probably not going to wear a mask and leave the house to go see Mulan. <laughs> well, I'm trust me. Completely <laughs> honest with you. I mean, that movie yeah. looks all right. But I, th- I think that, uh, you know, Adam, you don't have any idea what's ahead of you in terms of films. I mean, <laughs> I remember my daughters growing up. I went to all kinds of crazy film uh, you know films at the theater. Though, Larry? She what loves does she? Star Wars. Well, that's good. 
Yeah. She, her favorite character is Chewbacca. Okay. And she looks through the, she has these little books that are Star Wars picture books. And she points at Chewbacca and she goes, Baca. Baca. <laughs> All right. How old is your daughter now? 18 months. She's 18 months and already uh, becoming a film fan, a Star Wars fan on top of that. Um, okay. So I guess the real, I guess the, the, my view on this is that I don't see any lengthy film making it in a theater. Because Adam, I think, I mean, you mentioned this too, Alec, wearing a mask, I've worn them when I'm out. You don't want to wear one too long. And you wear one too long, it's going to get hot. I, th I wonder if they're going to make these theaters really cold once they open them up if you're going to wear a mask. Just curious. All right, we're, uh, we're on part one of our uh, discussion. We're going to talk about some... Uh, films tv productions we've seen and uh, that'll be in part two so we're right now you're listening to hamilton county goes to the movies hamilton county goes to the movies is an occasional podcast featuring news about film and reviews of film now once film venues begin to open again we hope to provide more podcasts Adam and Alec post regular reviews and commentaries on their website, gradeamovies.com. Both also contribute to another local film review website, thefilmyap.com. Back for part two of Hamilton County Goes to the Movies. I'm with Adam Austin and Alec Toombs, both of Grade A Movies at gradeamovies.com. I'd like to start this segment asking you about a controversy that has popped up. HBO has uh, now uh, expanded into the streaming business. They have something called HBO Max, which has lots of, of content on it, lots of classic films. One of the classic films they put on this originally, Gone with the Wind, in the current climate uh, uh, of race relations and, and some of the uh, news that we've seen in, in recent weeks, the decision was made by the HBO management to pull Gone with the Wind from that streaming service. Now, as I understand it, um, HBO plans to return uh, that Gone with the Wind film back onto its streaming service, but add a discussion to try to put that film into context. Let me start with Alec. Uh, what's your reaction to this? I'm not really generally a huge fan of censorship in any of its forms. Um, especially in incidents where you're taking a movie featuring an actress who's the first African-American woman to win an Oscar and, and putting the movie away. Um, if they come back with a discussion, great. Um, but I, I don't see the issue so much. Yeah, I think the one thing about, uh, I can't remember her name, the, uh, the African-American actress that won the first Oscar for an African-American. Hedy McDaniel. McDaniel, thank you for reminding me of that. Uh, even though she won the Oscar, what really turned me off to that was that they did not allow her to sit in the regular audience. She had to sit with the kitchen help and came out, accepted the award, and had to go back in. So, Which that, is awful. Which, is a, no which, which tainted that. I mean, it was a great moment in many ways. I thought, man, it still reminded you of what things were like and, and what America was like at that time. So, Adam, your your reaction. So, I don't believe in censorship, and I I... I wonder if you do in context, there's a lot of movies that could use context. So it's kind of, where do you stop there? Uh, I think HBO meant to do this to get some, you know, pat on the back press and it may have backfired on them. Um, 
But, uh, you know, the thing that really I thought about this conversation is I saw on social media a lot of people who were outraged that. <laughs> That's okay. Your daughter is there. That's okay. Hey, yeah, you have a two, uh, nearly a two-year-old there, so. We have uh, with while the animals. I'm hungry for lunch. <laughs> hey, if it's lunchtime, you got to deal with that, right? So <laughs> that, um, that takes precedence. But go ahead and finish your thought. Yeah. So there's a lot of people who are on social media that were outraged that Gone with the Wind was pulled from HBO Max, and they were going to cancel their subscription to a service that they weren't able to subscribe <laughs> to yet. Um, so they could not cancel it because they were not yet a subscriber. But if they were a subscriber, they would cancel. And they were so outraged that they would pull Gone with the Wind, a movie that I'm sure they have no desire to sit through three hours and watch <laughs> from 1935. And if they have seen it, they've already seen it a million times. And they probably own a VHS copy and can watch it there. So I think sometimes people like to share a post and say, this is outrageous. And it, I don't know. I mean, move on with your life. If yeah. you want to watch yeah. Gone with the Wind, you can still rent it. Yeah, you can we're, still find ways to watch it. It's and a, it will be on the service eventually. Mm -hmm. You can wait a month or so for them to put that little disclaimer up and watch it. So I really don't care what they did. I've got, I think when we're seeing tragedies nationwide, uh, this is kind of with a lot of these conversations when we're talking about the death of George Floyd, just to get serious for a minute, and um, tragedies nationwide. I think we're getting distracted with some of these side issues that really are not that important when we're debating whether Paw Patrol should be canceled because it shows a police officer dog. I just think that energy can be focused in a far more productive way because we have much bigger problems in our society than Gone with the Wind or Paw Patrol or Elmer Fudd having a gun. Let's focus on Yosemite Sam too, man. Yeah, Yosemite Sam. I mean, we knew Looney Tunes were offensive. They were always offensive. I mean, I think I saw a comedian make a joke about Pepe Le Pew basically being me tooed right about now, and he probably should have been. Um, Speedy Gonzalez, probably not the most culturally sensitive portrayal. I, I just hated the way they they, they, they treated Wiley Coyote. That was my problem. No, here here's a few <laughs> thoughts. Here are a few thoughts I had. Number one is I think every work of art should be looked at within the context of your current situation. Uh, I do believe that that is one of the greatest films ever made. It, it is a classic film. David O. Selznick, that was his life project. I understand all that. But I also do believe that it sort of glorified the antebellum South, the pre-Civil War South, in a way I didn't really give it much historical context because it probably did not fit into the story. And I don't think they would have done it anyway at that period of time. This film was was uh, written, uh, the, the final screenplay was written, and it was produced in about the 1930s, I think it was, 40s. So you're talking about um, a different time in American history, trying to look back at a different time in American history even from that. So I think context is proper. I don't have a problem with HBO. They didn't censor it, in my view. I mean, they didn't pull it off could find it other places. It's not like you couldn't find it anywhere else. Uh, as Adam mentioned, VHS tapes are still around with Gone with the Wind if you still got the player around where you can play it. So I, I don't have a problem with them putting it into context. I don't think it was really censorship. The way it was handled was maybe not the best, but I, I think that uh, 
I mean, I, I'm not, I, as far as I'm concerned, I don't have a problem. But I think Adam has hit into something here, too. We, we, set, we have this culture where we have to react to everything in a radical way. You know, I really don't care whether cops is on TV. I don't care. I, love that. <laughs> I saw some, like, you know, you see online where a pizza shop does something, say, like, they put up a Black Lives Matter sign or something like that. And it's a pizza shop in, like, Wyoming. And then some guy in Connecticut comments, I am boycotting this shop. I will never <laughs> eat there again. Like, you're in Connecticut. You're not eating at this Wyoming pizza shop. Yeah. So your boycott means nothing. Yeah, true. And, and you know, we have this culture where we have to to make radical comments about everything. And that's social media, I'm afraid, is part of that. But, uh, yeah, my view is it's okay the way they handled it. Maybe not everything is the way I would have handled it. Any final thoughts before we move on, Alec? I kind of look at it this way, even though it's depicting things from the Civil War and slavery and whatnot, you're choosing to watch this movie. It's not like a monument down south that a black person has to walk past every day to go to work. Okay, Um, Bert. Okay. Thank you for that. Let's talk about some um, actual movies that we have seen as best we can in this day and age. Based on what I'm seeing here, uh, Alec, you have been the king of streaming. You're the guy that watches all the streaming films. Tell us what's, for those people who are at home and ready to stream a film, give us some good films to stream. I mean, this past Friday felt like Christmas morning to me. We had, uh, we talked about earlier, uh, The King of Staten Island, Judd Apatow's new movie, in addition to that, we also had uh, Defy Bloods, Spike Lee's new movie that premiered on Netflix. What about the Spike Lee film? What do you think about that? It's going to be another uh, refrain of what I said earlier. It was really good. It was too long. It's over two and a half hours long. I think it probably would have been better at like two hours or two hours, ten minutes. Um, I will say we were talking awards earlier. Delroy Lindo should definitely be in consideration for an acting award for this movie. Okay, very good. Um, anything on streaming you should avoid? Uh, Adam and I both watched a movie a little while ago called The Wrong Missy that I didn't care for much. Um, it's a it's happy okay pass. to have really low expectations. <laughs> <laughs> I think you liked it better than I did. I, I did not care for it. Um, that like, one, like is a strong word for that movie. <laughs> you tolerated it more than I did? I, I, I don't um, it was fine. It was okay. <laughs> I, I saw another movie I wanted to like, uh, Capone, with uh, Tom Hardy playing uh, Al Capone in the last year of his life as he's dying of syphilis. Uh, it's directed by a young guy named Josh Trank, who started really well with a movie called Chronicle, and then his career kind of flatlined with uh, Fantastic Four a few years ago. Didn't care for this movie at all. Okay. Uh, Adam, any streaming films you want to discuss? So I told you Artemis Fowl is mm-hmm. very good. Um, you know, I haven't watched anything else new. I did watch The Lovebirds, which uh, I think Alec watched that as well. It was supposed to be released in theaters as Kumail Nanjiani and Issa Rae. And it's kind of your typical, um, a, a couple is out and they get caught up in like some kind of criminal thing. And it's kind of a comedy action movie. It's kind of the scenario where it was supposed to be released in theaters, but because of this, they put it on Netflix. Probably the right choice because watching it at home, not having to pay money, low expectations, I enjoyed it. Again, having to get a babysitter, having to spend a lot of money, go out, I might have thought, eh, it was was okay. 
Camille Nagiani is really funny, and he tries to elevate the material, and he's pretty good at it. Issa Rae, I like her. I don't think she's good at elevating material that isn't there. She's actually a writer herself, so maybe... You know, Kumail's a writer. Maybe the two of them should have gotten together and written the screenplay. It would have probably been a little better. But it's it's okay. It's on Netflix. It's worth seeing. And I've been revisiting a lot of old films, um, films that I had never seen before or hadn't seen in a long time. So I've been enjoying that. And uh, some of them are... Uh, I'm like, man, why did I wait forever to watch The Sting? This is a great movie. Why did I wait forever to... Why had I never seen Chinatown? This is great. Oh, so, yeah, Chinatown is one of the great films of all time. I can see that over and over again and still learn something new that I forgot or just didn't pick up the first time around. But you do, when you see things again, Adam, I think it's true. You you do begin to see, okay, this film, this is one that really does hold up over time. Chinatown's one of those. One I rewatched that after rewatching it, I would probably put it higher up in my rankings of favorite films of all time, and that's Network. Um, mm-hmm. They done away... Robert Duvall, um, Peter Finch won the Oscar for it posthumously, the first actor to win an Oscar after he died. Of course, Heath Ledger did that as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that film, rewatching it, it is just as relevant today as it was in the 70s. So that well, one that mm-hmm. uh, other people should revisit, too, because I think you'd get a lot from it. That was sadly prophetic, wasn't it? Uh, and I did, uh, I think I mentioned this before in a previous podcast, that uh, my wife and I last summer, glad we went last summer, not this summer, we went out to uh, New York City last summer and saw one of the last few performances of Network, uh, which was an outstanding stage production. They they really were creative in the way they staged that uh, whole thing and very true to the original film with the usual switch, switch arounds that they needed to have uh, to to put that on the stage. But yeah, I think network uh, told us what was going to happen and it happened almost the way that uh, Patty Chayefsky had uh, predicted it as the screenwriter. And he, he died not too long after the film, uh, um, after the film was released, but he did accept his Oscar, which was, was good. Patty Chayefsky, it was a great screenwriter. Mm-hmm. And I watched another one of his movies that won best picture that I had never seen. It was 1955 in Marty. Oh, Marty's uh, a great Ernest, film, yeah. Ernest Borgnine. Mm-hmm. And I, there's something about it that just didn't look that interesting to me. You know, the poster is kind of weak, and it, it's like it's about a lonely guy. And you're like, okay, why do I want to watch that? It's a good one. Ernest Borgnine deserved his Best Actor Oscar. And Patty uh, Choyevsky, man, what a screenwriter. Um, he was nominated. I think he won for that, and he won for Network. Uh, and, uh, you know, he just really kind of taps into that human emotion. Let me talk about something I watched on HBO. It's a while back, but you can always, uh, if you have HBO, you can always uh, go back and look on demand and see it again. This film is called Bad Education. It starred Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney. Now, Hugh Jackman plays this uh, school superintendent at a school system in suburban New York, very upper class you know, uh, outstanding school system, high performing. The kids tend to go, you know, if they don't get in, they're highly considered for Harvard and Yale and all the, the Ivy League schools. So uh, they, they've got this great reputation. They want to keep it. And uh, Hugh Jackman plays this uh, 
a school superintendent who just always seems to know the right thing to do, the right thing to say. He just seems to be the, the perfect superintendent. Then you have Allison Janney, who was in charge of, uh, in charge of the money. And that's where the, the scandal begins. It was based on a true story. Of course, it's greatly dramatized. But there was, a, there was a lot of money being taken from the school corporation. And guess who finds out what's happening? This young, new journalist working for the high school newspaper. And she starts to get curious, and, and they're trying to tell her not to look too far. But she digs into the finances, and she finds out some other things and outside of finances that are going on at this supposedly high-class, great-reputation school corporation. And this, uh, this young girl who is the journalist finally gets to a point where she has all this information. And, and as they're ready to publish, the school superintendent calls her in and makes a personal plea not to do this to him. And she has this great ethical decision to make. Either one of you see this film? I, I saw it and reviewed it a while back. So what was your, what, tell, tell me what you thought of it then, Alec. I think I gave it a four out of five star rating. I thought the performances were all really good. Um, I like the young actress who played the reporter. I think her name is uh, Geraldine. I had it pulled up on my phone here. Viswana uh, Thon. She's actually Australian, which you couldn't tell. Oh, no, you one. couldn't tell that, yeah. Um, I was slightly disappointed to find out that her character was a composite. I know that's often done in movies like this. They're based on true stories, but I still liked her and I, I liked her performance. In the movie. And you know, HBO has a way of getting some great talent, Hugh Jackman, Allison Janney, and they always get good young writing talent to put these together. And you're right, they had to make a composite character there, but it's I think it still worked. So I gave it very much uh, the same uh, as you. I, I wasn't too disappointed, but I thought the film really worked. A good sto- good story, excellent, uh, excellent, uh, excellent film. Did you get a chance to see it, Adam? No, I didn't get a chance to see that one. I haven't resubscribed for HBO. Oh, okay. And, you know, after this Gone with the Wind controversy, I don't know I will. So, I don't know. Okay. But, <laughs> no, I just uh, <laughs> I haven't had a chance to check that one out, but I hear it's really good. Yeah, and there was one other HBO series. This was not a film. It was a series. It was called The Plot Against America. And the whole idea behind this is what if... Franklin Roosevelt had lost the 1940 presidential election to Charles Lindbergh. Now, Lindbergh did not run, but he was a national hero because he had flown over the Atlantic, and that made him a very uh, big celebrity. Um, What this film does is is it follows one Jewish family in Newark, New Jersey, uh, and how their family and people connected to their family are impacted by this man, this Charles Lindbergh, being in the White House, and it was rather, it's rather well documented that Mr. Lindbergh had some pretty clear anti-Semitic views. Um, so what would happen to people who are Jewish in America when Lindbergh becomes president in 1940 and, and kind of cozies up to Hitler and the Nazis rather than fight them? Uh, either one of you get a chance to see that. I have not. Uh, I know my wife had interest in watching it, and and I do as well. I've heard predominantly good things about it. I believe that Damon David uh, Simon have something to do with it. David I, Simon was an executive producer, so he had his his money in it. Yes. Yeah, I'm a big fan of his work, like on The Wire. So right. Yeah, he, yeah, The Wire is his most famous uh, cre- creation. Dave, uh, he he was a man who 
who uh, covered crime in, in Baltimore for a newspaper and took what he learned there and, and put it into fiction and was behind the wire. Adam, I assume you didn't get a chance to see that if you haven't had HBO. But um, No, but I am trying to watch some movies that are culturally relevant to what's going on now. A lot of them I'd seen before, um, rewatched. I've watched um, The Hate You Give. Um, I've rewatched Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, um, Just Mercy, uh, and then one that, again, people should rewatch, Do the Right Thing. I know we mentioned Spike Lee before. Another one that's just as relevant today. So, um, yeah, I think you're right. There's a lot of movies out now that are kind of uh, relevant to what we're going through politically and culturally. And I think it's a good opportunity for people to maybe educate themselves on different viewpoints or different um, worldviews by through the power of movies. Yeah, I think uh, uh, Spike Lee's very best film was Do the Right Thing. He's had some good films and some a few misses here and there, but Black Klansman was uh, an excellent film, which he, which he did most recently in theatrical release. But Do the Right Thing, that was a, that was a very top-flight film. I love film. about that movie is it leads it up to the viewer to decide who really did the right thing. Exactly, uh, yeah. It ends the movie with two quotes, one by Martin Luther King and one by Malcolm X, so it really doesn't make a decision about whether um, protests becoming violent or, or rioting or those things are justified. It leads it up to the viewer. And even the character that Danny Aiello plays, who you know, says the N-word and isn't uh, you know, considered a civil rights icon by any means, um, he isn't a cartoonish racist. He has uh, sympathy for the black community, and he's a complex character. I always like movies where not everyone's good and not everyone's bad because that's how we are as humans. When someone's cartoonishly good and cartoonishly evil, I think it takes out the nuance that is important for our discussions. You know, Dan, Spike Lee yeah, does a great job with that. Yeah, I, you know, one thing about Spike Lee is that, uh, like a lot of other good directors, he listens to his actors. As I, uh, Danny Aiello told a story in an interview when that film came out that the original script showed his character, Aiello's character, as being the, the vehement racist. And and he came to Spike and says, Spike, you know, I don't think this works. Let's make this complex character. Let's let's add some things to him. And you have to have a true racist. Let's make his sons be the real serious racist. And that Aiello's character as the owner of the pizza shop, that he would be a much more complex issue. And he he would not be the same as his, his you had to ha- so those those racists you had to have to make the story work will be his sons, not him. Made the film a better film, I think. I think that's interesting because you look at his character. So his son tells him, hey, I want to leave the neighborhood. I'm tired of being around black people. And he doesn't say black people. He says a much worse word. Um, you know, and he says, no, I'm proud of being in this neighborhood. I'm proud that these people grew up on my food. And even Daniel's character is a little crush on a young African-American woman who comes into his shop. Oh, like I said, that doesn't make him a civil rights leader. He shouts the N-word in anger. He does things that are, uh, are racist. But I think that's important because all of us have that racist uncle who, you know, he's not a member of the Klan. Um, he's not, you know, just out there screaming things. But they say comments or do things that kind of make you, you know, pause for a second. Um, it's easy to fight against racism in the form of the Ku Klux Klan. We're all opposed to that. 
But I think the real challenge we have now is um, kind of that subtle or complex issues that a lot of us have to deal with with our friends and family and, and kind of navigating those waters. And that's something the movie did well. The uh, Just to wrap up Plot Against America, the one thing about that compared to Bad Education, that's a film of about what, two hours length or so. Uh, when you're watching The Plot Against America, you really have to make a time commitment because that thing went on for weeks. And, uh, and the way HBO still does their rollouts, they just put one new episode on per week and you have to wait next week to get the next one now we go to netflix which does it differently everything's up there at time you want to binge on it you can and i uh, watched a, a series it's a it's a documentary series on netflix called the innocence project and what this series of stories would tell you it's really a, a group of attorneys who specialize in picking certain cases anywhere in the country where a man, and sometimes a woman, but I think they're all men in this particular uh, film, or a series of, of, of films, a series of, of documentaries, were all men. And if there's uh, compelling evidence that they could be innocent, even though you know uh, guilty under the law and serving a sentence, and some of these men are on death row, uh, could they use science and other evidence that uh, is, is at their disposal to... to uh, prove that these people in fact are innocent and get them out of jail off of death row when you finish watching this film you do not get a warm and fuzzy feeling about our criminal justice system in general uh, either one of you gentlemen seen this series i have not adam no i haven't but okay. this, uh, you know I've, these issues of the innocence projects and kind of wrongful con uh, convictions i mean i those are important stories. We mentioned Just Mercy, which you can stream for free. Um, you can you have to rent it, but it's a free rental on Amazon Prime. So that's a free rental, and I highly recommend. I think that was Alex's favorite movie of the year it came out. I watched another one uh, that's about uh, wrongful convictions that you can rent for free on Amazon Prime, and that was Brian Banks, uh, the story of uh, a guy who was – a very promising high school football player and he was uh, wrongfully accused of a sex crime and he only did a few years in prison but then he couldn't go play college football do anything because he was a registered sex offender with an ankle bracelet monitoring him on parole so um greg kinnear plays his attorney with the california innocence project who uh, helps clear his name and then at the end they show the true story not to spoil anything but the guy, despite not playing college football, despite not playing football since he was 16, ends up playing in an NFL game uh, at age 28, one of the oldest rookies ever to be in the NFL. So we have a lot of terrible things going on in the world right now, but sometimes it's good to find that justice can prevail and to see those kind of uplifting stories that give us hope. Yeah, and along those same lines, in The Innocence Project on uh, Netflix – the, the, they tell several different stories. Some are more than one episode, but uh, you get to see the ups and downs of the legal process as Innocence Project works hard to, to get the scientific and other evidence needed to uh, get a new trial or get the case reconsidered. In many cases, once the evidence is there, the prosecutor just dismisses the case and then the person walks free. The greatest scenes in this series would have to be the scenes where 
the man finally walks out of prison, a free man after some of them 20, 30, 40 years in prison. And they walk out of that jail, that prison, actually not a jail, and, and see their relatives, see their friends for the very first time, not within those prison walls. You know, that's, it's the same kind of feeling. Those are the, the great moments in, in that. So I would recommend Innocence Project if you have Netflix. I would recommend The Plot Against America. Both of those, to, you kind of make it a bit of a time commitment. There's several uh, episodes in each, so you know, reserve some time to see that over several days. And Bad Education is a film I would recommend. Uh, Hugh Jackman, Allison Janney, a great story. Uh, something, uh, we, you know, it kind of reminded me of a school system like the one we have in Fishers, the one we have in Carmel. Everything seems to be perfect. I'm not saying anything's wrong here. Don't get me wrong, but you know everything seems perfect. Then, boo, you you dig a little further and find out that there are some pretty awful things going on. At least in this case, that was true. Any other um, reviews or material? Either, I'll ask Alec to start. Anything else? Any comments you want to make about what we talked about in the last few minutes, or any uh, any any uh, any offerings out there that you'd like to comment on? Sure. Um, piggybacking on some of the themes we were talking about these last few minutes, I, I did for the first time watch uh, two movies by Ava DuVernay this last week. Uh, her documentary, 13th, which is on Netflix, probably addressing some of the issues you were talking about as well in, in the Innocence Project. And uh, I also watched uh, her movie Selma, which somehow had eluded me up until this point uh, about uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, thought both movies were excellent. Would highly recommend both. Uh, Adam, let me uh, ask you the same question. Uh, not much else is going on. So part of the reason I'm watching some of these old movies. So for Christmas, I got one, like a year or two ago, I got one of those posters. And it says, top 100 movies to watch before you die or something. And I don't plan on dying right now, but uh, <laughs> you still want to watch the movies. And after you see one of the movies, you're supposed to scratch it off with a coin, kind of like a lottery ticket. And I'm so close to finishing the poster. I have two movies left that I have never seen that I have to watch. Dirty Dancing and The Notebook. And you can understand why I didn't rush to see those. They're kind of chick flicky things. Well, I'm, like I'm not sure I would have put Dirty Dancing on that list. but <laughs> Well, they, they put they, – it's not the 100 greatest films of all I time. I see. Okay. It's 100 movies to see before you die. Well, okay. So, um, <laughs> so they try to put some variety on there. All right. So since I was close to finishing that poster, I ordered myself another one. It was 100 cult movies, cult classic movies to watch before you die. Now, that I had only seen about 50% of them because there's some obscure cult classic films on there. There are some ones that I can't even rent on Amazon. I have to go buy a copy on eBay or something. <laughs> um, and I watched some good ones on there that I had never seen before. Uh, one film that I watched that uh, is not too great was Eraserhead by David Lynch. That's a cult classic film that, I don't know. I've never been a huge David Lynch guy, and that one was, uh, I think Alec commented on Facebook when I was watching it, that you kind of want to take a shower after watching <laughs> that movie. That movie grossed uh, me out, man. Yeah, like, I've been watching a film class in college, and I was turned off. Yeah. 
Well, so I mean, da- watching some weird movies, Larry. So David Lynch, Dave, David Lynch can gross anybody out. Uh, but I, Eraserhead's not one of my favorite films of his, but I like Blue Velvet and a lot of other films he did, which can also gross you out in places. Okay, quick question for each of you before we go. I'll have Alec to start. Date when we can first go back to the movies, movie theaters. You're asking me a guess, a, a prediction. Just, yeah, I'm. I'm not. Tell, I'm not going to hold you to it, but just based on what you know now, what would be your best guess as to when we go back to the movies? I mean, if Disney holds with releasing Mulan on the 24th, that would probably be it. Of July. Of, of July. Right. And uh, Adam, your thoughts? I think that's probably. I think the movie studios are going to dictate some of that. I don't think the big theaters are going to be excited to open to show older films or recent releases like the drive-ins have done. So I agree with Alec, whoever, whatever big movie stays on the schedule, some theaters are going to open to do that. So um, we'll see. I think Tenet will probably jump out before uh, Mulan because they may push Mulan again because they really want that international box office. I don't think Christopher Nolan cares. I think he wants to get the movie out there. So he said he's not going to delay it till next summer. So I think I think Tenet is going to be the first big movie to come out. I'd say mid July would be the earliest, but uh, I think that the uh, the the state rules are going to have to change, and you'll need seventy five percent, but rather than fifty percent. Going back to something Alex said, how can they make any money at fifty percent? Maybe at seventy five percent, if they've got a big blockbuster, could put it on several screens, they might be able to make that. A lot of it will depend what the biggest markets in the country do in areas that have been affected more by coronavirus than here, say, like New York City. Um, they can't open a movie in New York. They probably aren't going to open it. I think that says a lot right there. I want to uh, recommend people uh, go to gradeamovies.com. Both of these gentlemen have commentaries about film and film reviews and, of course, a lot of streaming reviews and other entertainment uh, items as, as the film theaters are closed. Also, each of them contribute to the Film Yap, which is a creation of Christopher Lloyd and Joe Sherry. They're the founders of that. And those these two gentlemen we talked to today, work with today, I should say, are, the, are, are contributors to that as well. Uh, I don't know about you. I can't wait to go back to the movies when it's safe to do so. So, Adam, Alec, thank you very much. And hopefully there'll be movies to talk about soon and we can all get back together. Thanks. Have a good day. Thank you. Have a good one, Larry. Thanks, Adam. That wraps up another edition of Hamilton County Goes to the Movies. Let's hope the next time we post another podcast and get with you again, we'll be watching films in movie theaters. With films like Tenet and Mulan set for July distribution, let's hope that will be soon. Adam and I thank Alec Toombs for joining us, and we would certainly urge you to check out their film website, all about reviews and commentaries about movies and film, gradeamovies.com. In the meantime, thanks for listening. We hope we'll talk to you again soon. Music